0: This is SEMO, where we help you see more. Hey, welcome back to the SEMO podcast. In this episode, we are speaking to Jonas Altman. Everywhere he looks, Jonas sees a change in the way we work. He believes that work is becoming much more fluid and fulfilling. Jonas is a partner at award-winning design practice Social Fabric and an adjunct professor of innovation and entrepreneurship at UBC Sauder School of Business, an international speaker and a contributing writer for Quartz, Inc. and The Guardian. He's also now penning his second book all about meaningful work. Hello Jonas, how are you? Welcome to the CMO podcast. Hey Alex. <laughs> It's great to have you on. I think um, when I first set up the podcast, um, you know, I definitely had you in mind because I think everything that you're doing, there's so much synergy in terms of kind of the future of working and productivity and kind of thinking outside the box and things like that. So thank you so much for being on as a guest. Uh, Really looking forward to this conversation. But before we kind of delve into it, I thought we might kind of shake things up a bit and do a little kind of icebreaker session to, to to get to know you. Are you up for it? Let's do it. Okay, cool. London or Vancouver? Man, seriously? <laughs> the first one. I can't answer both. You can. Or you I'm, can gonna go, I'm gonna give reasons can gonna, give reasons for I'm gonna
1: go Vancouver. Yeah. And the reason is for expansiveness. And I'm gonna then the caveat is that there is no finer city than London. Yeah, so it's a that's a t- that's a
0: tough one. Nice. So being from Canada, this well, it might not be relevant to you, but I thought, why not? Hockey, as in ice hockey, or football, as in soccer, to you. Soccer, soccer. 100%. Okay, nice. I can't even skate,
1: man. Really? Like my nephew. Wait, when you're there, like when you're five years nephew, old, like on the lake no, playing ice hockey. My nephew's <laughs> seven years old. He can skate backwards. He can dri- uh, dribble or whatever the word is, uh, and I, he he can skate better than me. I I just and also I can't see the puck. When I'm watching hockey, it's like, it's like difficult to even enjoy. (laughs) Work or not working? Oh, good question. I view them one and the same for me now.
0: Okay. And we'll come on to that in a bit, a bit later. Community building or building a startup? Community building. Nice. Giving a talk or writing a blog post? Giving a talk. Analog or digital? Analog. And lastly, a fun fact about you.
1: I used to breakdance.
0: Damn, that is a good fun fact. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's pretty cool. We get to know a little b- bit more about you now. Um, so welcome. Welcome to Simo Podcast. It'd be great maybe just to start. Tell us a little bit about you and what you're doing at the moment.
1: Whew. Uh, yeah, this is the narrative fallacy. So what I choose to edit or what I choose to say. Um, I I'm like you. I kind of never wanted to fit in so growing up in Vancouver I kind of knew that I wanted to go see the world so the first chance I had I did I moved to I moved to Jerusalem when I was 20 and I went to school there for a year and I was like this is pretty cool uh, and then when I finished school I moved to San Francisco and then I moved to LA and then I moved to London and I've been traveling a lot and I think There's two things that go there one is diversity and seeing seeing more and um, the other is getting addicted to novelty and having to move in order to adopt a new perspective so i'm trying now to basically travel through conversations and books as opposed to getting on planes
0: nice so you're a co-founder of social fabric but looking at your LinkedIn, I mean, <laughs> for anyone that's listening to this podcast, go check out Jonas on his LinkedIn because I've never seen someone have so many different advisorship roles and you're an instructor and, you know, you're an, an adjunct professor of innovation and entrepreneurship at UBC Sauder School of Business, international speaker, contrib- contributing writer for Quartz, Inc. magazine, The Guardian. There's so much stuff there. So that kind of that narrative that you just said about novelty. I mean, does that go hand in hand with traveling as well as you jumping and doing lots of different things in your career?
1: Yes. Uh, I think it's, one, not making a decision about what I wanted to be when I grew up hmm. and deciding not to be something, so not to be a professional, like a doctor or a lawyer, and to do something else. Principally fund- fueled, not funded, fueled by the World Wide Web or by the world being connected. So writing from a, uh, a Southeastern Asian country for a american company is possible for basically anyone with a wi-fi connection so i think giving myself permission or creative license was part of that or has been part of that to match the diversity and work with the cultural diversity and the sort of um wealth of uh people that i i don't really what's the right word that i Dance with or or bounce with like you that kind of make me see things or, ch- or challenge my beliefs and make me kind of more tolerant, more empathetic. So the answer is yes, but I think it wasn't, it doesn't, it probably looks more polished on LinkedIn than it actually was to make it happen.
0: So, in terms of something that you've been focusing on for a while now, tell us a little bit more about social fabric and what that is.
1: Yeah, so I had this idea uh, in 2003 to basically borrow the Hollywood model and bring a bunch of kooky creatives together to do cool shit. What's the Hollywood model? Hollywood model. Uh, you set up a, a company. Or you set up an entity. You get uh, a director, Martin Scorsese or Tarantino or whoever. And then you cast. And you cast not just the superstar actors and the Ryan Goslings and whoever. You, you cast the team, the, 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 the super teams that make that production happen. Photographers, lighter, lighting specialists, uh, stylists, um, fixers, you know, like all the people who are in the background. Now, that's at at a scale of hundreds, maybe even thousands of people. Well, 15, 20 years ago, the agency model was still hire full time employees and try to use those people to come up with creative ideas again and again for sometimes the same client, Adidas and Nike. And I kind of, having worked in the music industry, was like, I don't want to have that i want to work with whoever is the right people for the right gig or right project so it turns out originally that our website was so cool and it had flash that everyone just wanted websites so we were basically a digital agency and so at one point an example i had an amazing flash developer from japan living in london where i was working with the client was based in barcelona And uh, some of the graphic designers and copywriters were in America. So it was basically remote working, but there wasn't really even Skype. It's a lot of emails and a lot of heartache. And it didn't didn't work very well. Like the Hollywood model for digital agencies at that time was rough. Um, So the concept, I think, is still has currency. And I think there's a lot of interesting companies. So like IDEO, RGA, um, even Google have like 30 to 40% of their staff are not full-time employees. So... They're, they're harnessing the, the best talent from outside of their company. So I think I was a little bit, one, I was a little bit early or I just didn't execute well. So that was the first version. Um, and then I don't know what happened, but I got, the fashion in, I got into the fashion industry. by I fell into it and I had a business partner and we were in Topshop. And I've talked about this a little bit in the last uh, month about failing. So responding to the world. Um, and trying to basically appease buyers and consumers and different uh, markets, so high end at Harrods and low end at Topshop is it's hard to do both well, you know. And so people diversify, and so that was a, probably my best learning curve. So that was up until about two thousand ten, and then I gave myself permission to study. So I went and studied uh Central Saint Martins, and that's where I kind of got the bug for organizational change culture. Uh, culture design, um, kind of team dynamics and future of work, and I was like, "Wow, okay, so maybe I could just make a living out of thinking and talking and writing." And so, social fabrics is kind of an umbrella for people who think about work differently and want to make it better.
0: And that's something that you see, you're seeing a lot more of. You know, I think initially, arguably, you'd think of maybe Google as kind of a company that and kind of set the trend for you know having these amazing workspaces i mean ultimately it's to retain employees there but you know what i mean in terms of flexible working and kind of bringing your kids into work and having your dog in the office and stuff like that and then all of a sudden i mean really i I guess over the last seven five years maybe you start to see this kind of evolution of the workplace so i guess from your experience you almost kind of had that foundation to then naturally get into this space, but you needed that bit of education from St. Charles St. Martin's to kind of uh, validate you in some way. Yeah, I
1: needed, I needed uh, like a confidence and a competence metric to say like, what gives me the right to go into a company and talk about how to work better? So I've worked with universities. I've worked with really cool creative companies, but I've never worked in a 70,000 person company or at a general electric. So I have no idea. What it's like to have you know ten thousand middle managers, i.e., i.e., human messaging machines that are in many ways preventing information to flow, or human messaging switches is what they're called. They're preventing in information to flow where it needs to go, when it needs to go, to make faster and better decisions. And then you remove those that layer from from the company, and now you allow people on the on the ground to rise up, and people who are sitting in the ivory towers to kind of have a much more dynamic and uh, engaged uh, relationship with their staff. So that's what's happening. Uh, like uh, If you look at like Buffer or Medium or uh, Morningstar or Burtzorg, there's amazing examples of companies that are uh, empowering and engaging their workers and people are saying, what, the, what are they doing? And they're borrowing their models now and making them unique, like Spotify also a good example. So you see it. So I'm kind of trying to take what is in many ways, the best companies in the world are treating not just their staff as adults, but are treating them as freelancers. So even if you're a full-time employee, you've, you kind of come into work like a freelancer. I've had one or two experiences in toxic environments. So once you have a toxic environment, you know you never want to have that again. If you have the ability to not be in that environment, not everyone has that luxury. So that's really helpful because once you taste like uh, that, you have to subordinate who you are to come to work, that you have to put on a mask that you kind of come away drained, that your relationships suffer, your mental and physical health suffer, you're like, I don't want to do this
0: anymore. Yeah. And is that, I mean, what would you, just on that point, what advice would you give to someone that might be listening to this and go, oh shit, that's me? You know, that's a tough answer because you want to
1: be the hard ass and you want to say on the one side of the continuum is quit. Yeah. Uh the other the other one I actually really believe in and I I, I think it's a little bit academic but it's called job crafting and you know it's 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 a popular sort of way of looking at work as an activity and work shouldn't be the centrality of life it should be a major part of life but your relationships your community your 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 spiritual enlightenment could be as nourishing if not more than work but assuming you want to derive meaning from work and you want to feel somewhat fulfilled and you know show up as Alex you could craft the tasks so like what are you working on you know we talked about this the other day about email calendar invites to-do lists meetings like how do you massage those tasks so they're not as dire or they're a little bit more kind of to your rhythm of how you do great work you can craft your relationships so if you have someone who's a highly difficult disagreeable high conflict person you can kind of avoid them or move your communication into like the least amount of communication, i.e. the odd email, something (laughs) like that. And the the most important one would be uh, changing your inner mind. So seeing things differently, hence, you know, see more as as the name of this podcast. So looking at your work within a system of like, what's the mission of the company? And if it's a, 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 a worthy mission for the company, then you can kind of maybe adjust your worldview to say, well, actually, I don't really like what I'm doing right now. It's pretty dire, but I, I can see how I'm advancing the company mission and I might move into a different role and, and start doing some volunteering or extracurricular stuff. Or that's when you really say, actually, this company is not the right company for me. I don't see a long-term future and I'm going to work on my exit strategy.
0: Yeah. And you would argue, though, as well, I I guess there are still a lot of issues in the workplace, but, you know, now more than ever, you know, you're seeing a lot in the media about kind of transparency and awareness and diversity, but I guess it's still, you know, a big issue for a lot of people. And, you know, uh, uh, your job is a big thing, and that salary that comes in every month to pay your bills and stuff, it's it's, it's kind of a pertinent thing. So, you know, to kind of pack up and leave, you have to kind of be quite strong-willed to do that. Yes. I mean, in
1: America it's like three hundred and fifty or so million people there's the majority of America are one pay one paycheck away from poverty, so hmm. you know food clothing and and shelter is like number one and then for people who are knowledge workers or are working in the creative industries and hanging out at some of these places like this, there's a little bit of like well you know i I use kombucha kind of as a funny example, but like oh maybe i'm going to set up a kombucha uh, wine company on the side and it's like yeah why not like you have you have a basement or like a, a photo lab so the side hustle becomes a way to sort of counterbalance the fact that work isn't giving as much fulfillment and that's totally cool and I have a lot of friends like that but there's a bunch of people that I keep bumping into who are kind of like I would call them one either just unreasonable or two they're diehard entrepreneurs and um, mavericks and misfits and won't settle for anything less than kind of being on the journey to self-actualization and finding their groove and that's when you kind of see that person you want to spend more time with them because like there's something about what what they're doing and how they've given themselves permission to go after this even if they're just constantly uh, learning and failing and learning and failing but then At one point, the novice becomes the expert. Or at one point, you know, you're on stage and you're doing it instead of talking about it. Um, And that's kind of I think that's a beautiful thing. And the more people that do that, which is now about half the economy almost, or in the next five years, half the economy will be freelance. The whole idea is to have that freedom. Yeah. To to do kind of to direct your energy how you want.
0: Yeah. And you. I mean, looking at your schedule, you, you travel you know, to Bali, to Peru, to Brazil, to the States, to London, to Europe, giving these talks. Is there, is there a common thread in what people kind of put their hand up and say, hey, Jonas, you know, this is my issue. Or this is my problem. Would you say there is this kind of common thread in the workplace? And I guess almost you kind of want to shake people and just say there is light at the end of the tunnel
1: got to say, that's probably one of your best questions so far. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yes, there is. Well, first of all, culturally, it's so different. I mean, uh, in Bogota and in Bali, it's just a different energy than Vancouver or London, yeah. like in terms of what people are thinking about. Are they the kind country.
0: of like um, almost kind of, what, five, ten years behind in terms of what the conversations are in London? Or is it just culturally? Is it it's just difference? different. Right. It's not behind. Cultural I mean, nuance more so than. Yeah. yeah. I think
1: maybe like, Maybe Japan is in the future, yeah. but, but generally it's just different. And, and I think the, one of the things that comes up is that there's disenchantment in the workplace. So some people are coming because they know and they have this itch or this hunch that there's a better way. And so like there's definitely – they're, they're, they're shifters. They're looking to shift from – you know they could craft their job in a certain way, but they're, they're kind of considering a, a move. Right. And so there's a little bit of like, what is the future of work and what is what I'm seeing on Instagram? Like, you know, whether it's digital nomadism or remote teams or distributed workforces. So that's definitely one. And that's a common theme. And then there's people like that came to that talk the other week, which are actually like high degree of agency in their work, kind of are crushing it, but still kind of either have sometimes imposter syndrome, sometimes miss the communal kind of team dynamic that they don't have because there's not like a regular office Mm -hmm. and are aware that that as you're trying to find your rituals and rhythms of being creative that you have to experiment because what worked five years ago doesn't work anymore because you got older or your attention's been hijacked by God knows anything, you know? And so there's a little bit of like this continuous improvement and people wanting to kind of help themselves without calling it self-help so i think that that's like how you could split it and then the questions that come up are often you know from anything when someone says they're doing something like how did you start this podcast you went and bought the equipment you emailed some people and you started recording and so that, like, a lot of times people are actually looking for someone to say it's okay
0: yeah. And, you, and I, yeah and you and you hear i mean it's controversial to some people but i think that is one of the things like Gary Vee he does say a lot it's like just keep doing it and then other people say oh well your content's all the same and it's like well it's the same because you probably listen to 10 of my talks or youtube videos have you got off your sofa and stopped watching netflix and have you gone and done that side hustle or bought the podcast equipment and done it and 9 times out of 10 they say no so it's funny how people that they want to they want to change but a lot of people don't
1: yeah i mean there's there's definitely a side to uh, you know this productivity and the hustle and the, what, the hero entrepreneurs, the, the Zuckerbergs. And I think if you take everything with a grain of salt, there's a lot of things around the future of work and the way that, that we're kind of caught up in this wave that we have to take a step back and look at it in, in, as an evolution and from an aerial, aerial view. And there's like actually a lot of kind of negative things and there's a lot of things to be cautionary about. So for example, you quit your job you try to make it happen with your podcast and you realize that like it's all based on say a sponsorship model and you're like wow I thought I was going to have subscribers who are going to pay money and you're like oops I could have figured that out so yeah. hence the startup you know get your product market fit and then you can get funded and so I think there's a little bit of like people are enamored by it and mm-hmm. and they they're kind of wanting to live it whatever that is and not necessarily do the hard work so I think the Gary Vee thing is probably Good in many ways to say, have a deliberate practice, uh, amalgamate your attitude, your skills, your talent, and your network and people you have who can support you as resources and give it a go. Because if you don't give it a go, you know, fail, fail, try again, et cetera. All those slogans are like, really, that's how you learn. And and now people are willing to talk about it. Whereas before it was like, you only saw Richard Branson as like the, the virgin you know, trains in the virgin gym but you didn't see like him selling weed in portobello
0: yeah tell me a bit about the four hour work day oh yeah okay
1: <laughs> you mean today well no yeah no i know today you was know a what i mean day. it's something that okay. you, you got you yeah. kind of
0: preach and yeah. you know i've read that a lot of your blogs on it yeah. but yeah give me some info on that
1: so first of all it's not to be mistaken with the four hour work week the tim Ferriss thing is is many ways you know Dropship some stuff on your Shopify account and then head over to Chiang Mai and <laughs> ride your motorcycle into the mountain, which you can do.
0: Yeah,
1: It's really premised on uh, research that shows or demonstrates based on artists and high-performing athletes that four to four and a half hours is the most amount of training we can do. And in the knowledge economy, training is demanding, cognitively taxing Brain busting work, preparing a pitch, writing an article, problem solving, um, coding. So those are like, that's the, and that's what Cal Newport calls deep work. Everything else kind of is filler. So it's not that it's a four hour work day, it's a four hour deep work day. And if you can get those into intervals, uh, so violinists will train or play for 45 minutes or 60 minutes, then they'll rest eat some food and then train again. Same thing, the the, the idea of the office, which is premised on a model of like the Ford model, the industrial model is no longer working for us. And so we're coming, well, it's working here where we are today, but in an office next door, like a digitus down the street, they're going in there and for nine hours, the creative directors, the account managers, the project managers, the production team have to be at their best all day, which is impossible. It's not. It's not humanly possible. So therefore, the more freedom or the more flexibilities people have to control how they work would be meetings in coffee shops or the whole WeWork model of having this sort of flex space for learning and events and conversations and libraries is is where like thirty seven signals and a lot of the other companies are moving towards to say there's different modes of work catering to whether it's deep or shallow, and therefore as long as you get four times five, which is what, 25? Oh, 20. 20, yeah, good, I, see? That's what happens at four hour workday. I'm actually really good at math, four times five. So if you get four times five, you're crushing it in terms of a week, and you can spread it over seven days. So at the event, uh, the other a week was welcome trust, when they go to four, four day work week, it's not necessarily saying, okay, like cr- lose eight hours, it's just saying we acknowledge the science. And we acknowledge that we want to make the workplace more humane. Therefore, we're closing our doors on Fridays. And we're giving you the creative license. We're giving you the autonomy to choose how you want to distribute your work. And it will then become more outcome-based as opposed to present. I'm here. I'm doing this. You can't see me, but you know I'm tapping <laughs> computers. And that's where the, that's where the premise comes in. It's not my idea. It's a very kind of old idea uh, in terms of like, we've known this and hunter gatherers back to the beginning only hunted for about four or five hours a day. And then they chilled.
0: Yeah. Well, that's something I think, um, yeah, I think everyone can relate to. And, it, and I think it's coming to that four or 5 PM. It's just like, you know, you're, you're sucking like tingling sensation in your eyes and you know, they call it square eyes. And it's like, you know, you need a break or you need to maybe go for a walk or something like that. And that was something else, um, from the event that I attended of yours last week. Um, You're talking about golden hours and um, the idea of sometimes it's okay to be bored. And that was so interesting to me because I find, you know, from a kind of a creative standpoint or having inspiration, you know, you, you feel so kind of centralized and focused. You're at your desk, you're working on that project or you're kind of trying to come up with a cool creative solution for a client And sometimes it's just like, just nothing's happening. And then I, in the summer, it's great. You know, I walk from Oxford Circus to Shoreditch where I live. It takes about an hour. And for me, you know, I don't listen to headphones or anything like that. But for me, that hour, just walking idle, my brain is connecting the dots. And I kind of have quite a few of those eureka aha moments. So um, would you agree? How often do you do that walk? Well, so in the summer, like the weather's nice. I would do it every every evening. I'd walk home. Um, But now I'm, you know, not so much.
1: So here's the challenge for you would be uh, it's not that you should just be okay about having time for boredom or white space time or, or free thinking or disassociative thinking. You should design the conditions regularly, daily or weekly, like your walk. So it's a habit.
0: Yeah.
1: Like pretty much like every polymath that you ever read about you know, from Charles Dickens to whoever. And walking is probably the most popular one because it's a moving meditation. So if you're not going to be doing that in the summer, the challenge to you is what are you doing now in the winter to create that hour a day, which is basically uh, when you're going to do your best non-work. What time of day is that for you? It's usually like, it's usually after or right around the afternoon slump. So if I can get, like, you know, whatever you call it, a burst session in, in the morning, then there's this, uh, do you want to have a coffee? Do you want to take a nap if you have that luxury? Um, do you want to go do some exercise? So I think that that's when I start to try and reset uh, my day and have, like, a break. And that break can take many forms, but it can be a walk. It can be some exercise. Uh, I've been trying to practice, like, you know, 20 minutes or 30 minutes of seeing what emerges and just like sitting there with your notebook yeah. and just hanging out. And, you know, you kind of look around wherever you are and all of a sudden you notice things and you see things that you didn't see because you were so in the zone. And then it's
0: like, oh, that's cool. And sometimes it's nothing. And sometimes it actually things crystallize. Yeah. well, That that was interesting because I think sometimes it, it is that kind of, you need that organic method or it, you need to not be aware of it so I would almost argue in a sense that I guess it's good to design and find time within your day or your week that you can have this white noise space or time to to think but arguably I would think if I'm too aware of it or if I'm like going right I'm now going to sit down and think of cool ideas and I think it would almost it would be kind of a counterproductive
1: Interestingly, you had a Freudian slip there because white noise is background noise of coffee shops, which was where I love to write and hang out, which is where people always were because there's the chatter. There's just enough white noise to get on with your task. Yeah. When you want to have uh, thought showers, you go into the shower and you've got the water on your, over your eyes and all of a sudden you have less visual stimuli and so you can think differently, maybe even think better or slower. White space... Which is actually Jocelyn K. Glee's term, as she's written a lot about creativity, is from my view of like one doing being analogs. So your computer is off, and you're you actually have like white space, almost like um, in on your website. How beautiful that spacing is! That's like the negative space. That's like I can breathe. That's what designers know. They know how to like edit stuff, or artists who have like this use of space. Leonardo da Vinci, like master of when he would paint The Last Supper, he would look at it for an hour and then he'd make like one brush stroke, apparently. Mm. It could be fol- folklore. <laughs> so, so it's beautiful because white space and white noise are actually uh, almost natural, or they're not natural bedfellows, but they work in a way that you kind of need white noise or many people do. Some people need silence. And then white space is neglected, which is this non-work time that is hard to find in our overly busy, highly productive, never always on kind of world. And so to take that time out is why you're seeing like yoga practices in the office and mindfulness at the workplace and detox boot camps, because people are literally burning out like all the time, like weekly and they have to reset instead of it being a little bit more fluid.
0: Yeah. And for someone that is maybe this is the first time they've heard about this, um, what would be some quick, easy kind of a task or something that they could do right now, uh, to maybe find some of this time? The easiest thing they could do is get rid of technology from
1: their bedroom and buy an alarm clock to wake up. Turn their phone into tools. So on their home screen, there's only tools like Google Maps or Safari. There's no Instagram. There's no Facebook. There's no Twitter. Even turn your phone to black and white, which I've done, which is kind of fun. Makes it look less sexy. So now you've kind of just made it easier for yourself not to get distracted with that. And then maybe try uh, one thing for a week and see how it goes. So um, block an hour in the morning, if you can, between whatever hour. So let's say it's 9 and 10. And that's your hour. Alex's meeting with Alex. And you get to kind of figure out what's going to um, come to you. So in your case, it might be uh, uh, lining up uh, podcast interviewers, uh, interviewees, and other activities in California and that's like kind of like your next week and that's what you're going to do for that hour and like work through that but if you show up to do that and you're kind of just not feeling it you've got a secondary kind of jam or project which you can jump in so you've kind of switching between two and for people who are you know writing a lot or creating content it's like you can't always just r- uh, rouse your muse to come whenever you want it sometimes it's just not there so that's why you have this deliberate kind of time but you're also willing to sort of show up and do the work and the work might not be what you expected.
0: Nice. I want to go back to a point that you just said then uh, made me smile because I think you said about, okay, sitting that meeting with myself and if I turn up, I'm not feeling it, then that's okay. And I just love that because I think it just kind of goes, It. I think people sometimes we forget that we're human and like it. I think that very much relates to, okay, that's me. If I don't feel okay with showing up to my own meeting and to plan my podcast for my Californian trip, that's okay. But the other extreme is like, it's just kind of the notion of that failure is okay too. And I just think, I think people, you know, whether it's, there's so much pressure in the workplace and things like that, but just, I think at the end of the day, it's like, whoa, chill. Like if you're not feeling it, you're not feeling it. Like do something else. Like it's not the end of the world. And that, I think more people should kind of have that attitude.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm probably one of the people who gives myself the hardest time I know. So it's very hard for me to let go and not give myself or one to give myself a pat on the back saying, oh, you know, you weren't feeling it and you came back to it later and then you shipped, if that's the right word, as opposed to an earlier version of me, which would have guilt and disappointment. And there's actually a beautiful way to kind of figure this out in terms of. Um like, are you accountable to yourself or have you made yourself accountable to others? And a lot of this is like really relying on your own shoulders uh and and, and sort of setting these expectations for yourself. But the moment you articulate them and you kind of have external measures of accountability, then then there's sort of like you wanna you wanna deliver, you know, someone's expecting the podcast to be sent to them so they can listen to it before they meet you. Or um, you're going to meet with a client and the courteous thing to do is to give them 48 hours to review Mm -hmm. the PDF of all of the work you're going to do. But you just aren't feeling it. Well, like, you'll you'll kind of, you know, that's where the constraint comes in. You'll actually squeeze out that extra bit. But it's the other things that are a little bit more like personal projects, side hustles, kind of nice-to-haves that you need to be gracious with
0: yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to talk about another topic that... um, No, I'm sorry. (laughs) You talk about in terms of the career glossary. Oh, yeah. And uh, modular career. So this is kind of the notion that over the years, we've gotten a bit crazed about careerism. It seems that every day there's a new term making the rounds. um, And you talk about modular career. So do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah. Uh, I was out with someone last night who actually calls it Pi but it's not Pi P-I-E
1: not Pi like you eat Pi like 3.14 right you okay. know like in math for the, for the Einstein mathematical maths? geniuses out there yeah, yeah. Okay. You obviously you didn't know about that well, that's no no it. I know what Pi is yeah. <laughs> they that's all they teach you in Canada it's like yeah. Pi okay <laughs> um, obviously I'm making up for my my 5 times 4 era <laughs> um, I won't go into Pi but at another date we can chat about that so I said to her, Yeah, it's kind of like Lego and you know, Lego being blocks, and that the blocks are are sort of building blocks for your career. And it was actually, it wasn't Cheryl Sandberg who said that like instead of the career ladder, it's the jungle gym, it was the head of HR, and she kind of popularized that. Um, which has really kind of become true. It's like there is no ladder anymore. You go to Harvard, you get your MBA. You think you're going to go and work for McKinsey and then you get there and there's tons of articles out there, out there that those, some of those people are really unfulfilled. Uh, Charles Duhigg has written about that because that's exactly what he did. And now he writes about the power of habit and he writes about what's going on uh, in, in the psyche of people who have followed this linear kind of get this and then do this and then you get this result and then you do this and get your result and then you rinse and repeat. And then we felt that the world went to shit and it just all fell apart or the internet came along or whatever explanation we have. So modular as a word is modules of what are the modules that make Alex, Alex or Jonas, Jonas today and what other modules are we gonna add on almost like we're back in school and like the workplace is a classroom. So for example, the classic one would be uh, graphic designer turned UX designer turned experienced designer, called culture, turned into a culture designer, so intelligently or trying to design healthy cultures, into a leadership coach, into uh, an NLP practitioner. And you kind of like follow this. And you're like, wait, I thought you were a graphic designer. You're like, I am. I'm also an NLP coach. And so now we're kind of like, if you have a problem with that, that's your problem. But that's my journey. And actually, all of those are building blocks. Add in some behavioral economics, add in some organizational psychology, add in a splash of this, and you've got this really colorful career. And uh, it actually came up when I was writing about Victoria Stoyanova, who was the community manager for this place at Second Home. Because community building and community management is sort of listening and responding to what different communities need, and then building bridges between them. And you you need to have like a ninja skill set to do that well and high degrees of emotional intelligence, cultural sensitivity. And so that's where I think it really plays, but I think it works across the board.
0: Yeah. And that is something that I guess anyone, it's not just the creative industries. You know, I think people would, would you say that it relates to someone in a job that you might be learning different skill sets and essentially every kind of new skill that you're learning is a building block into that modular career? Yeah. I mean, it would be like life
1: after law or life after accounting as like there's a career shift and you switch gears in your in your car and now you're that and no and, and everyone knows it's not like that that transition is actually difficult and moving horizontally within an organization or or quitting a company and moving into a different sector is uh yeah it's a practice and it requires like you know getting out of your comfort zone and building new skills Within your organization of course like that's the whole thing this is really kind of Peter Drucker and Charles Handy who are organizational designer or thinkers and management consultants to say you should be having multiple careers at the same time even if you're in one career uh, the best example is my dad's best friend is a what was a, a orthodontist and an incredible jewelry designer and if you think about those two things they're kind of like parallel careers
0: going i said they, they kind of relate you have to be good with your hands yeah both of them, right? exactly
1: and so at one point you're like oh so you're basically a dentist who moonlights mm-hmm. as a um a jewelry designer so modular career could just be a fancy way of saying you have two careers but your point i think is well taken in that if you're in a company and you have a growth mindset and you're willing to bring in new things and you're starting to do events about um, culture and you're starting to like go to meetups around blockchain and you're starting to learn about uh you know, obviously I'm into behavioral psychology because I keep mentioning it. You're, you're trying to skill up. And then when it comes time to get a job or to do a gig or a project, you're like, you don't have to call on the expert because in many ways you've kind of skilled up and you're now kind of the expert.
0: Yeah, that, I love that. And I think it's something that I think about a lot is this. And it's okay, one of the kind of the big underlying values of, of the Semo CMO, CMO podcast is is this cross-pollination of industries and like does not matter kind of what background or culture what age what vertical of kind of business or industry that you're working in that cross-pollination of skill sets and things is so valuable and for me I get frustrated sometimes when I can't do everything so for example this podcast it's like I want to I want it to be the best it can be but then at the same time right now you know I don't have budget to kind of be hiring a team to do all the things that I want it to happen. So I'm like, Oh my God, I need to learn how to use the technology. I need to teach myself how to use Photoshop. I need to, um, you know, or hustle and find someone that, you know, a friend that can do it for me. Um, you know, learn how to post it on iTunes. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think sometimes, yeah, it is trying to find or or learn all those different skill sets to do that. You know,
1: one thing we have to make sense of our, their own narratives like we're the self-authors of our stories right so like there's one we're reverse engineering so we're making sense of it so that's just feels good otherwise we couldn't get out of bed and we'd, we'd, we'd kind of be paralyzed and we'd have like an existential crisis and many people do it's a new neurosis where we're just sitting in this state of i don't know what to i don't know how to act in the world people like you probably overactive so therefore, you're doing so many things. And some people might be like, one, that's exhausting. Two, can you do those all really well? And, and is there such a thing as an expert generalist? Yet, if you own it and it is something that you really have validation from, so you got hired by this company, you get NPS scores from companies that say you really delivered value, the client comes back and wants more. Now you're getting external feedback saying, actually, like, you know, um, you are delivering on the promise. So I think that there's a little bit of like, um, trying to make sense of our lives that are, uh, diverse, let's say that. And then on this flip side is that if they weren't so colorful, we wouldn't be sitting here right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Something that made me laugh, um, in your talk, you tell me the story about the, uh, the tabs. Oh yeah the desktop. Oh my tabs or your tabs no your tabs well, and, how many and, tab- then what, and then what your friends how, said how many tabs do you have open? Well I've got like 30 tabs open and my and Three. when we talk about this is like for me, I'm inspired I've got loads of stuff that I want to read and then I have like all these tabs open on on my uh, my web browser um, and then you kind of like caught me out <laughs> in the event so tell tell <laughs> your story
1: Wait, <laughs> did I say? Oh, what's it like to be you? What did I say to you?
0: No, but about your friend that that told you that he shuts his computer off. Like, oh
1: yeah, right. So, so I had I had I had neurosis and anxiety because every time I opened my computer, it was a complete shit show of you know things that I wanted to learn about. Back to your skilling up and learning how to upload to iTunes and and to use Photoshop. What or read an article? So my friend. A lot younger he just like you know hey man you just close your computer and start again tomorrow and i just looked at him <laughs> gobsmacked i was like what like what about all those things you want to read? he's like you'll get it. if they were meant to be it's kind of a little bit of karma he's like if it was meant to be that you were going to read that article it will come back into your life you know um, so so that so that that kind of started a little bit of like hmm, what would that be like and i did try it and it didn't help i still had the anxiety But my other friend uh, introduced me to Toby, which is a software for managing your tabs and there's session buddy and there's pocket and all sorts of other ones. And I think it was a little bit of like, what's the job I'm trying to do? Like, what's the job I'm trying to get done? Learning or self-learning. And what's the best way to do that is to actually be focused and not multitask and not have this feeling of uh, like too many tabs in the queue. So, all I have to do now is reduce the queue and organize it in a way of like, I'll get to it when I get to it. And when I get to it, it will be great. Just like a book
0: comes into your life. Yeah. And for all the listeners out there, uh, it's been a week after the event. And of course I think I, if anything, I have more tabs open now. So <laughs> <laughs> that obviously it didn't work. No, there you go. Um, so we're nearly coming to the end of the episode, sadly. Um, but i last few questions. Um, what is your relationship with books? I like them. Yeah. Um, or, or is there a notion about having no obligation to finish a book? Oh, yeah. Well, that's another one. I, had, I always had an obligation because that's how I was brought up, or that's how
1: we we're brought up. Um, I remember I had a book called White Fang that was like part of school reading and had like, you know, c- kind of got stuck on pages or had to read Homer's Iliad, which is like over 500 pages. So I think that turns a lot of people off. Or can turn a lot of people off. Um, and then specifically talking about nonfiction, because if you're reading a fiction uh, book or, or a novel and you just sort of skip a chapter or like you know skip to the end, it kind of doesn't work. But a nonfiction book is one way to look at it is what draw what 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 are you hiring that book to do? And, and it might not be the whole book. It's probably a, a couple of chapters. So, you can say, "Look at it as like a blog post that you're trying to get something out of it, so you open it up, you look at the table of contents, and you kind of dip into where you kind of really get excited and another one is to mark the shit out of shit up of it. can't speak like that, but um you know with with a highlighter or a notepad, fold the pages, the dog ears, and use that book as sort of like a source for to turn it into knowledge because otherwise it just kind of in one ear or in, in one ear or the other. So yeah, so my relationship with books is now to not be so diligent in going from beginning to end in chronological order. And also sometimes being okay with just putting the book down, not finishing it or picking it up later and also having multiple books on
0: the go. Nice. And looking at Social Fabric and your day-to-day now, and what, what, what have you got coming up? What's the, what's the future for, you, for yourself and, and Social Fabric? The future is tight. <laughs>
1: uh, that's a good question. I think there's a little bit of a phenomenon going on right now with coaching. Yeah. Uh, Instagram coaches, life coaches, performance coaches, career coaches, coaching coaches. I've never really thought of myself as that, but I realize that's a lot of what I do. So that's what I'm doing tomorrow is a coaching session. Is that one on one or is that group or workshop? uh tomorrow is two it's two co-founders. Yeah. Um but it's actually an extension of the workshop. So the workshops, which I love doing, there's always sort of people who are like ready to like level up. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, what's next? And really it's like mindsets, behaviors, processes, structures, and I can be a part of that. So I think There's a part of me that wants to explore that. I don't know what that looks like. Um, And then I I run a course called uh, Entrepreneurship 101. And it's basically just throwing mud at the wall and coming up with an MVP. And that starts in May. And I'm writing. And I'm writing mostly for me, but I'm trying to write about all the stuff we've been talking about in a way that probably resonates with people who are listening to this. Who are people who have a high degree of agency in their work, um, but also people who are working in companies that know that the way that we're, they're working is broken and that there's something they can do to fix it. Um, and that what that looks like is, is self management, uh, resilient cultures, uh, flexible workspaces, uh, mindfulness, um, bold leadership. And those are like the same topics you'll read about all over the place, but there's something I think it's not really slowing down and there's just more and more conversations going and there's like this momentum of like potentially that future is here like we're one one year away from 2020 so perhaps all of the stuff that you and i have been jamming on since i met you it's like okay finally we can
0: breathe out (laughs) nice and um where can people find you on online instagram Right here
1: in the streets of Brick Lane.
0: <laughs> Just walk down in one of the curry houses. Uh, my
1: Instagram is pretty pathetic. It's mostly pictures of sunsets, but that's at Jonas Altman. JonasAltman.com needs an up, upgrade or fresher, but it's it's got like uh, some articles. And um, SocialFabric.com, you can sign up to the newsletter, and that's probably... And that, that's something that i love doing because it's actually taking our conversation taking things i've read and trying to distill it into like this is what you need to know or this is what i've loved learning this month so and then you can always unsubscribe if, if you're kind of like yeah that's not for me
0: and is that that's a weekly digest monthly monthly digest yeah. awesome well it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast jonas thank you so much uh it's been great thank you thanks for having me thanks for listening I hope this podcast can intrigue, inspire, and provide some key tips and tricks for a lot of people. I would really appreciate your help to grow the community. If you know anyone that you think would enjoy this podcast, then please send it their way. And if you can subscribe and leave a review, it would mean so much, and it really supports the show. Thank you, and see you next week.